and welcome to the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I'm your host, the Conservative Atheist, and we're going to be discussing some of the hottest, controversial, and in many cases considered taboo topics. We cover every issue you've ever considered, and several you haven't even thought of, from the unique perspective of a conservative atheist. Enjoy! And welcome back to the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I'm your host, the Conservative Atheist, and I'm joined by my co-host. Brighter later. Hey, guys. And today we're talking about political violence, specifically left-wing political violence. Um, terrorist ba- terrorism, basically. Uh, terrorism is, is violent or destructive acts in, in the promotion of your political ideals. And these are definitely terrorist acts. Um, so we we all know about the riots that went on protesting Donald Trump um, during the Republican primaries. Then when he won the Republican primaries and, and uh, beat Ted Cruz at the, at the very end, uh, he went on. And we, we all know about the protests that went on during Trump rallies all over the country. In fact, one man tried to snatch him off of a, a speaking podium uh, and was had to be led away. So we, we know these things happened. We know that there was riots. There was attack, attacks of uh, Trump supporters that would come in and out of his rallies. And, um, you know, but we're not, we're not going to start with that. We're going to start a little bit earlier than that. And uh, it's, it gets a pretty, pretty nasty. Uh, I don't support political violence on any side for any reason in this country or any other country. And uh, I think that uh, the, the, the people that do are going against the very um, foundation of this nation. The idea is that we're supposed to come together and we're supposed to have fair and free elections. And everybody's supposed to have the, you know, the First Amendment. It's the very First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of belief, uh, freedom to express, express those beliefs. And the idea that people are going to try to shut that down with violence, we see that in left-wing uh, and and various other uh, you know dict- dictatorial countries, and we don't want to bring it here. And it, it seems like it's on the rise. Um, brighter to later, did you have anything to say? Yeah, I definitely definitely agree with everything you said. And uh, I think I've seen uh, as far as the pathologies of this kind of like left wing protest, I think I've kind of seen it uh, up close and personal. And that uh, a lot of these seem people seem to herd together and seem. Be, uh, they seem to be particularly intolerant of any belief that goes against theirs. It's it's kind of an interesting thing, and I could definitely see how it would devolve into violence. I should say that to, I, I just thought of this, but to, another complaint that I have, and I really quickly, I'd like to know what you think of this, is that uh, people are complaining that people are bringing long guns to really just kind of uh, any sort of conventional protest, and it's basically used to intimidate people, and we're seeing kind of a, a kind of ubiquity of this, and it seems to be both right-wingers and left-wingers doing that, and I'm wondering really quickly, what do you think of that? And would you? I'm, I'm less concerned about long guns than I am handguns. Long guns, you can see them. You know what's going on. You know if they're being used. Uh, handguns are easily concealed and, uh, and much more dangerous. You know, it's like they used to. I remember watching one of these shows about uh, fights in the prison yards. 
And they said that, you know, the, the big, scary looking shanks weren't the ones you had to worry about. Those were the ones that scare people. Those were the ones that people could see. And it was supposed to, you know, deter uh, somebody attacking them. The ones that were really dangerous were the one, more easily concealed that were like a screwdriver because the, it would go straight through to your vital organs. Yeah, I guess what I meant by that, and I would definitely agree with that, and I don't really, even though people report on this, I don't think there are really any many major instances where people have been killed by long guns. And typically if they are, it's like an actual like general riot, a genuine riot where people are trying to protect people. But it seems to be, and I'm not quite sure what I think about this, that uh, people are contending that uh, the kind of advent of people bringing long guns to protest is ultimately supposed to intimidate people, and we shouldn't see it as really a good faith thing. And I, what do you think about that? If I, well, I, hopefully it does intimidate people. Hopefully, because intimidation is going to prevent violence. If some, if a criminal or a violent person knows that you're, they're going to meet violence with violence, then hopefully the violence won't happen in the first place. Okay, and I guess that would go for you would you would apply that to both right and left wingers who bring. Of course. Anger. Okay, interesting. All right, that that was pretty much uh, all I had to say before the clips. Okay, let's want, let's listen to the first clip. It's uh, it's a, a speech given in Congress. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I let my good friend from Maryland know that I like him too, uh, and I would, I would certainly clarify the remarks on Putin. Look, I'll denounce Putin right now. Remember, I was the one calling in the beginning of this conflict for a no-fly zone to be established, led by the United States. I don't think there's anybody more hawkish on Russia and the Ukraine issue than myself on this side of the aisle. So to say that I was up here defending Putin is ludicrous. We, of course, need to defeat Putin. We should have been much more engaged from the beginning of this conflict, not just to send a message to the Russians, but to send a message to the Iranians and a message to the Chinese vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan. But I could go on. So I would say it's a total mischaracterization of my position to say that I'm up here saying good things about dictator Putin. But I remind my friend from Maryland uh, about the history of this building. In 1814, it was literally burned to the ground. Uh, in the 70s, Puerto Rican separatists stormed in, detonated a bomb. Uh, so let's just get historical context in place. And as far as denouncing violence, everyone on this side of the aisle has denounced political violence consistently. The inconsistency is from my friends from across the other side of the aisle who cherry pick when they denounce political violence. I remember that during the entire summer of 2020, my friends across the aisle uh, treating the, the destructive BLM and Antifa protests that caused $2 billion worth of damage. They treated those protesters with kid gloves. You had the current vice president paying the bail for the protesters. You had the gentlelady from New York, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez saying, and I quote, the whole point of protesting is to make people feel uncomfortable. To folks who complain protest demands make others uncomfortable, that's the point. Those are the words of the Democrats, not of us. We can go on. Chris Como, CNN host, please show me where it says protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Last time I checked, that was a Democrat. New York BLM co-founder, Hawk Newsom, said in response to Eric Adams trying to put plainclothes police officers on the street. He said, and I quote, there will be riots, there will be fire, and there will be bloodshed. It sounds to me that the political violence and the support for the rhetoric, the rhetoric that's coming to support political violence and upheaval is coming from one side of the aisle, the Democrat side of the aisle. For more rebuttal, I yield to my good friend. Okay, so that was the end of his speech. 
Um, you know, the, the thing is, is, is that that's a good point you know, it wasn't, it's not just the violent rioting of the people in the, you know, out on the street. It's the fact that our own, um, our own vice president, Kamala Harris was paying the bail money to, to, to bail out violent rioters that had been arrested by the police. She was creating a fund so that they could, they could, they could, uh, can you imagine a Republican, uh, uh, politician, much less the vice president or the future vice president, uh, bailing out violent protesters that have been arrested for the, for, by the police for violence. It's un, un, absolutely ungoddamn believable, but yet it, it happens all the time. It's a regular thing. It's a regular thing with, with the lefties. They support violence. They have no problem with violence. Uh, we can go all the way to the, the terrorist acts of the, the weather underground back in the 1970s. Um, they have absolutely no problem with violence while they pretend like they, they, they do. Now, you may say that this, okay, this is, you know, what about the right-wing protests? What about right-wing violence? What about right-wing uh, riots? Well, let's, let's, let's listen to this real quick. The Black Lives Matter movement is linked to more than nine in 10 riots across America. The study defines riots as demonstrations in which any demonstrator engages in violently disruptive or destructive acts as well as mob violence. According to the data collected by the U.S. Crisis Monitor, the U.S. experienced 637 riots between May 26th and the 12th of September. Out of these, 91% of those were riots linked to the Black Lives Matter movement. These include demonstrations that have a local BLM group involved or when the main issue of the demonstration concerns police brutality against black people in general. The study found that 49 states experienced riots during that time period. California led the nation with 86 riots during that time, closely followed by Oregon with 79 riots during the same time period. The data also showed that 7% of Black Lives Matter linked events have in fact turned violent eventually. This comes as the Black Lives Matter movement has seen an explosion of support around the world. Celebrities and large corporations have financially supported the Black Lives Matter network, which is the global arm of the movement. The movement exploded in America after the killing of unarmed black man George Floyd on the 25th of May in police custody. That's WION. The, the news reporter was, uh, was from India. So, so nine out of 10 violent riots in, 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 in uh, between 2000, between 2020 and 2022 were Black Lives Matter. Nine out of 10. Um, and uh, what was it? What did he say? Did he say 7% of Black Lives Matter protests turned violent? I, I was actually going to ask you that. I didn't, I didn't quite hear what he said. It was said. either 7 or 70. I, I, I can't imagine it being 70. That's a hell of a number if it is. Um, but either way, these, these are, are the overwhelming majority, the lion's share of violent protests are from BLM, are from the left, are from groups like Antifa. Um, and there's, I don't, I mean, the numbers don't lie. The stats don't lie. 
this guy's not even American. He has absolutely no dog in this fight. He has no reason to lie. He's simply a news presenter. Yeah. Well, I was going to say really quickly, the one thing I've always taken umbrage with uh, in regards to kind of Black Lives Matter protest and kind of the left, the left's response to it is that, uh, OK, if we were seeing in this country where billions of there was billions of dollars of property damage and like, I think there was something like 15 to 20 people killed during the BLM riots of 2020 or right. directly from that and probably much more just from kind of what we're seeing much more from kind of, uh, I guess, uh, the loosening of police and uh, the I guess the chastisement of police, which probably is what led to the murder rate jumping by 40 percent but if you saw literal cities being burned down and what what and what we saw in 2020 and let's say it was done by a particular right-wing movement whatever that would be democrats would be absolutely up in arms and of course they with the blm they they at first they would say oh well it's bad if they do violence but they didn't even really delineate between i guess the violent protests the non-violent protests they no which I think that's the one thing I always took umbrage with, and they wouldn't even really call it out. Or sometimes they would try to say that, oh, well, it's Trump's fault because he's the president and he's supposed to keep a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a conservative president. It's it's his fault because the, the liberals decide to riot, the, the, the uh, lefties decide to violently riot to, to promote their agenda, whatever that agenda may be. Whether it's whether it's uh, against uh, the, the lawful decision of, uh, of the Supreme Court or whether it's, uh, you know, any other, any, you know, somebody being arrested that they didn't want arrested. Anytime a black person gets arrested, they're automatically the victim, even even if they've killed tons of people, even if they're drug dealers, even if they're, you know, they've, they've uh, committed violence against the cop in the first place. They're always the victim. And uh, it's well past the point of being ridiculous. Right. Uh, the idea, the other idea is the other the, the other scam is, is that Antifa is an idea, not a not a not an organization. No, actually, there's been people that have done exposés showing that they wear different armbands to 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 signify to the other members what f- part of the what faction they are of Antifa. They're very well organized and they hold meetings in places. There was an undercover um, oh video done of an Antifa m- a meeting at a closed lefty bookstore uh, in uh, I believe it was. Um, I believe it was in Portland. So, you know, th- th- these are all very underhanded, violent tactics. And they, you know, they, they just don't care. You know, Chris Cuomo says, Cuomo says, well, who says it has to be peaceful? Well, the U.S. Constitution. You don't have a right to be violent. Right. Okay, so we're going to play the next presenter, and then we'll go over that as well. With the nation already on edge in the coronavirus pandemic, as protests turned violent across America, the arrest of a former Minneapolis police officer for the murder of George Floyd, failing to stop another night of rage in that city, the governor fully mobilizing the National Guard for the first time in U.S. history, the protests continuing this evening, these pictures coming in right now from Los Angeles, police pushing back crowds using batons and firing rubber bullets, a patrol car on fire. And in Philadelphia, police vehicles torched as the crowd swelled. There were similar scenes in several American cities Friday night. An angry group outside the CNN Center in Atlanta, the tense moments you saw right there, playing out on live television. And after the Secret Service clashed with protesters just outside the White House, President Trump casting blame, threatening force, and tweeting a cryptic message about MAGA night at the White House. At the same time, the family of George Floyd requesting an independent autopsy and pushing for the arrest of three other officers in that video. 
ABC's Alex Perez leads our coverage from Minneapolis. Tonight, a nation on edge. For the first time in 164 years, the governor of Minnesota is now fully mobilizing the National Guard. Protests erupting in Minneapolis last night, the powder keg of the crisis. Businesses set on fire as rage continues to boil over for the death of George Floyd while in police custody. The situation in Minneapolis is no longer in any way about the murder of George Floyd. It is about attacking civil society, instilling fear, and disrupting our great cities. The anger now spreading across the country. A protest in Philadelphia that started peacefully this afternoon grew violent, a police car burning. In Los Angeles this evening, police pushing back massive crowds using batons and firing rubber bullets. In New York, this police car in flames. Authorities clashing with protesters, making 150 arrests, charging one woman with attempted murder for throwing a Molotov cocktail at four officers. This video showing. So I'm going to pause this for a second. So, so there's protests all over the country, not just not this clip, but the, the clip before that. 49 states out of 50 states experienced violent rioting. 49 out of 50. So that's not just a couple of states or a couple of cities or a couple of towns or a couple of incidents. You know, that's not just, you know, a few, a few, few people here or a few people there. That's, that's 49 states out of 50 experienced rioting in that time period. Some states more than others, obviously. But 49 out of 50. So this is obviously extremely widespread. And they're trying to kill people. You throw a Molotov cocktail at someone, you're trying to kill the person. You're not trying to injure them. You, you, you know, the glass and alcohol and God knows what else is in the bottle bursts into flames as it hits your face or your, your, you know, your body. You're, you're, first of all, you're going to have an unbelievable amount of burns. You're going to be in the burn unit for a long time. Second of all, there's a good chance you're not going to survive it. So, and this is all because somebody doesn't get what they want. Now, I remember, I remember when... And I, I, you know, I bring this up a lot. I, I remember when O.J. Simpson, we got off for murdering those two people, Ron Goldman and, and uh, Nicole Brown Simpson. He was guilty as hell. Everybody knew he was. And when he was let off, there wasn't one riot. There wasn't one protest. There was nothing. Because the, the, the conservatives that knew that he was guilty and, and anybody that knew he was guilty were civilized human beings. They didn't go to the streets. They didn't turn cars over. They didn't set things on fire. They didn't attack people in the streets. They didn't attack the police. They didn't try to burn buildings down. Simply not how we operate. Not, not how any civilized human being operates. So this is disgusting. This is absolutely disgusting. These people are, these people say, well, I don't want it to become a civil war. It's already a civil war. The only difference is, is the conservatives aren't fighting back as hard. But it's already a civil war. It's been a civil war. I think I might disagree with that, to be honest with you. Okay. Well, when you see people marching in the streets, turning cars over and, and attacking people and dragging people out of cars and, and setting buildings on fire and entire sections of, the, of, of uh, a neighborhood on fire, and uh, the city's in flames. How that couldn't be a civil war, I don't know. When they're attacking well, the federal building, when they're attacking police, 
Sounds like a civil war to me. Yeah, I think rioting is obviously horrible. The only thing I would disagree with is that uh, there weren't nearly. If you look at the people directly killed from this, it wasn't. It wasn't anything that would be on the level of a civil war. No, but uh, it, 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 the civil wars don't start out all out all out war. Not not you know they start out in little battles, little skirmishes here and there. Okay, let's go back to the the, the video clip. What appears to be an officer shoving a woman to the ground. Police are now investigating that incident. In Atlanta, hundreds descending on CNN's Atlanta headquarters, defacing property and setting off fireworks. You are disgracing our city. You are disgracing the life of George Floyd and every other person who has been killed in this country. Last night in Oakland, a drive-by shooting killed one security officer and wounded another. Federal authorities now calling it a case of domestic terrorism. In Detroit, a 19-year-old killed after someone in an SUV opened fire into a crowd. The wave of outrage coming after Monday night's horrific incident where Officer Derek Chauvin digs his knee into George Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds. Across parts of Minneapolis, you can already see several National Guardsmen stationed in different areas. The governor here, for the first time domestically, has activated the entire National Guard, some 13,000 Guardsmen ready to step in. Here in Minneapolis, some feel they've been pushed to the breaking point. If we gotta do it the violent way, then that's what we're gonna do because we're gonna get answers one way or another. But city officials were quick to point out some of those arrested are from out of state. Those folks who are agitating and inciting are taking advantage of the pain, of the hurt, of the frustration, of the anger, of the very real and legitimate sadness that so many of our community members feel. All right, Alex joins us now live from a... So the, the, the legitimate anguish and sadness over uh, over something that I, I i still don't believe that george floyd died because of the knee to the neck they said he couldn't breathe he was obviously overdosing on fentanyl um he if you watch the full video not just the video where they have him on the ground but if you watch the full video when they start full first start pulling him out of the car he's saying over and over and again i can't breathe and nobody had a had a finger on him i can't breathe i can't breathe i can't breathe i can't breathe the same shit he was saying on the ground he was saying in the car because he wasn't reacting to somebody's knee on his neck. He was reacting to the overdose of fentanyl. Brighter later, do you remember how, how many times the amount of fentanyl he had in his system that was enough for an overdose? I, I can't recall what they said. Oh, that's a good question. It was definitely over whatever the. It was like two or three times the, 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 the what should kill somebody. Yeah. I'm not even quite sure if you'd be like lethal dose 50 for this, but uh, yeah, everyone said that uh, he had a, he at the very least had a what what is considered a lethal dose of fentanyl in his body at the time. Yeah, exactly. And he was saying he couldn't breathe before he was even out of his car, way before he was on the ground. Right. And he he, he kept. It, they said, well, you know, we didn't say that you could put your knee on his neck. Yeah, it's actually in the handbook. It's in the officer handbook how to restrain somebody by putting your knee on on their back or their neck. It actually spells it out in the handbook. They made Derek Chauvin a sacrificial lamb. They put him in prison to shut up the mob. That's all they did. Yeah. They sacrificed him for what they considered the, the greater good. Well, 
Well, there's two iron. Yeah. Well, I mean, the one thing that people don't consider is that uh, he had probably done that hundreds of times, and that's the first time he killed someone doing it. Apparently. Yeah, the, I, I've seen I've seen episodes of cops and live PD after the fact. Well, not episode of cops, but I've seen it before the fact. And after the fact, I saw episodes of live PD where they put the knee on the neck and held the person down. Yeah. Now there was a young man, a big blonde-haired kid, huge kid, white kid. And he was held down in the grass between the sidewalk and the street. Uh, and uh, they had their knees on his back and he suffocated to death right around the same time. Do you remember all the white people that got out and protested and said, no, you know, no, uh, no justice, no peace and attacked the cops and demanded for them to be uh, fired and criminally prosecuted? Because I don't remember that happening. No. In fact, in fact, it wasn't even really in the news. You, I, I didn't even know about it. I, I found it on YouTube by accident. Right. Well, the yeah, I mean, the thing people don't understand about this, there's so much data concluding this. And I mean, people have pointed out that uh, the way our media not accepting this or elites not accepting this is an absolute just travesty. But uh, it's shown that white people are more likely to be killed by cops than black people are. And you don't see rioting over this. The only no. reason why you see rioting on the part of black people is that they presuppose that it's all against them and they they get emotions involved and they think that, oh, this shows how horrible it is. You don't know what we have to deal with. So then they just riot, you know? Yeah. The, their answer is violence. The, the yeah. violence is the answer to everything. I'm the victim. It's racism. It's the oppression. It's, it's, it's conservatives. It's the cops. It's the government. And uh, I'm the victim every time. Even, even if I'm the criminal, even if I'm killing people, George Floyd was a fucking scumbag. That piece of shit. What served six years in prison for breaking into a, a black woman's home, a, a pregnant black woman, sticking a loaded shotgun barrel up against her stomach, her pregnant stomach, and holding her at gunpoint while her while his friends, his four friends, robbed her house, ransacked and robbed her house. Now, what if that gun had went off by by on, you know on purpose or even by accident? She would have been dead. Her unborn child would have been dead. And this is St. Floyd. We keep hearing about St. Floyd. St. Floyd, that fucking piece of shit, that drug addicted, you know, drug, that, that drug dealing uh, thief and piece of shit, garbage that needs to be locked under the jail. He's St. Floyd. He's the martyr that everybody's going to riot and, and kill people and, and protest and, and burn cities down and attack police and attack innocent people on the street. Yeah, that, that's the guy that that's the that's the hill you're going to die on, you fucking morons. Well, I was going to say in that clip where it said the I don't know, I'm assuming that was a family member. Where they said you guys are, I guess, desecrating the memory of George Floyd by rioting. I'm like, no, no, I think no, 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 that was that wasn't a family member. That was the, that was the mayor of the city. Oh, I was going to say, because I, I thought to myself, I'm like. You know, this actually might be, I mean, this is, this is kind of the same way he lived his life. So it actually might be, uh, <laughs> right. might they're be. honor, they're honoring him. He was, a, he was a, a criminal piece of shit and uh, they're criminal pieces of shit. Yeah. They're living the way he lived. Right. They're honoring his memory. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, uh, one last thing about, uh, I guess Derek Chauvin is that the irony in that case is that I can't, i obviously this happened a while ago. I haven't looked at this in a while, but if you look at kind of the autopsy report of what happened, parsing it out, a lot, a, uh, sorry. a lot of people thought that if you actually parsed it out, the what probably killed, what, uh, if anything, what kind of spurred his death is that uh, the cops kind of detaining him through his torso and his, I guess, his lower body, which the irony in that is I don't think that many people take umbrage with the cops doing, with the cops detaining him in such, in that way, you know? Right. But, uh, 
or at least I don't think if you if he died, if let's say let's say Derek Chauvin just never had his knee on his neck and let's say the same exact thing happened and he died. I don't think everyone would be quite as apoplectic. You know, they would think that, oh, well, they were just detaining him. And how could they know? Right. Right. But 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 no matter what happens, no matter what, the, it's just like Eric. Uh, was it uh, what was his name? Um, Eric Brown. Was his name I Eric? I thought it was Michael Brown. Michael Brown. I'm sorry. Michael Brown. Michael Brown is attacking this cop tried to take his gun from him, was charging him. Um, the, the, the cop had bruises all over his face where he was getting punched through his window in his car. And uh, witnesses admitted that, that uh, Michael Brown was, was charging at him. And still people said, oh, hands up, don't shoot. There was no hands up, don't shoot. He was running forward. He got hit in the top of the forehead. And at the, you know, they had ballistics come in. They showed that he was leaning forward because he was running towards the cop. This was all proven. Eric Holder, the the uh, the attorney general, came in and did a special investigation and cleared uh, cleared. Uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the name of the guy, the cop that was involved. I don't remember it either. I I don't remember either. But they he cleared the officer of any wrongdoing through through ballistic analysis and through eyewitness testimony, eyewitness of other black people. And how did the whole thing start? He was in a, a Indian or Pakistani. Uh, convenience store slapping around the the uh, the owners, uh, the little little scrawny owner, uh, little old man, and uh, stealing from the shop. That that's how it all started. And instead of just stop, and he's walking down the middle of the street, and the and the cop stopped. But he's another one. He's he's another one that, that they decided to burn the city down. And well, his father or stepfather said said burn this city to the ground or something like that. He was he screamed out while he was standing on top of a car. Yeah. Well, obviously, that's where obviously it happened in Ferguson, Missouri, but that's where the the kind of like a sociological analysis of uh, the Ferguson effect came from, which was coined by Heather McDonald, where she realized that in a lot of these areas, you see just an, an exponential increase in crime. And it's all the, the cops basically being maligned and people hating them and obviously cops not wanting to be a sacrificial lamb. So they unfortunately just have to let more stuff go through, you know? Right. Yeah. The cops are like, hey, why the hell would I want to put my my, my life and, and my uh, career in jeopardy to catch these scumbags when I'm going to be the one that's going to be crucified? And also that theory actually availed it's a that theory also availed itself in uh, I guess whatever whatever that area where I guess George Floyd died and that's uh, you saw an exponential increase in crime even relative to the other areas. <laughs> yes, but but th this is violence and and the furtherance of political agendas, political agendas, left wing political agendas. There's different factions. There's Antifa, there's Black Lives Matter, and there's just you know lefty scumbags that that go out and commit violence in the streets. But it's 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 violence and furtherance of, of political agendas. So let's 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 continue with the clip. All right, Alex joins us now live from a destroyed building in downtown Minneapolis. Alex, we just heard from the demonstrators there in your story. The tensions are still very high and officials are bracing for more tonight. Yeah, Tom, authorities are very concerned tonight could be one of the most violent nights yet. They say they have a plan to deal with these violent outbreaks, but have so far not revealed any details. A lot of people here still on edge. Tom? Alex Perez leading us off from Minneapolis tonight. Alex, thank you. Hi, everyone. George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for checking out the ABC News YouTube channel. Okay, so that was CBS News. Oh, CBS. That was CNN News. Um, and discussing the, the issue in Minneapolis, what was going on. So it, it's destructive, violent behavior like that that 
means that the left deserves no respect and groups like Antifa and Black Lives Matter deserve no respect. Zero respect. And they keep trying to compare Antifa and BLM with, with the Proud Boys. They call Proud Boys Nazis. Uh, the Proud Boys at one point had a black leader. A, a Nazi organization, a KKK-like organization, would not have a black leader. They had Jewish members. They would not have Jewish members. They would have Asian members. They would not have Asian members. They had Native American Indian uh, members. They would not have that. Nazi and, and Nazi and, and, and KKK-style groups don't allow those type of people in there, much less make them the leader of the group. So that's complete bullshit. The second part is, when's the last time you heard of, uh, you've heard of, of uh, the Proud Boys burning parts of the city down and attacking innocent people in the street? Do right. they clash with, the, with, the, with Antifa and BLM rioters? Absolutely. But when have you heard of of of, of uh, the Proud Boys dragging people out of their cars and and attacking innocent people in the street and attacking the police? Never, never, ever. It's never happened. Well, the other irony I find in this is that uh, it seems to be that uh, or liberals in general want to want to think that there's like this influx of like uh, I don't know brown shirt tactics and what they always view it or what they use to crystallize that's the Proud Boys. And they think that there's such this epidemic of this. And I'm always like, okay, well, maybe you can find instances of Proud Boys being unruly and maybe you can find instances of them being arrested. But if you actually want to find a criteria, if you actually want to find something that fits that bill or comes close to Nazi brown shirts, it doesn't come from the Proud Boys. It really just comes from a, a lot of like the BLM riots in particular, I guess you could say. Antifa. Yeah, which that's that's always the thing that uh, particularly annoys me with this, which... I guess I should say that uh, we talked about this a little bit before, and I, I think it's probably worth delineating a bit. And obviously, I think I still think it's the case that a lot of the left invariably supports this. But I we were talking a little bit before, and I, I'm not quite sure the Black Lives Matter protest can be chalked up as easily as like a left wing protest as much as something like a, I, I don't know, rather left wing riot as much as something like Antifa, given that I don't think I think a lot of it was just a particularly just black people rioting in the streets and getting mad about stuff. And there was yeah, but how many of those people do you think are conservative Republicans? Yeah, but I guess my point there is I don't think there was as much an ideology behind it as much as it was just that these people just don't know how to act civilly and they just started rioting. And I don't yeah, think... Yeah, there's, 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 some, there's some truth to that. Yeah which, truth I, to that. yeah, which I guess I'm just saying that to, as far as political violence goes and I guess what you'd call terrorist or I guess you were saying before terrorism, it seems to be that it has to be really premeditated and there has to be an ideology behind it, which I'm not quite sure if a lot of like the Black Lives Matter kind of rioting that there was quite as much of an ideology behind this. Well, the, the, they just arrested, I think it was, what was it, 10 or 20 Antifa members that were hiding out in the woods and planning on attacks on a city. I, I'm trying to remember the name of the city, but it just happened recently. I wish I, wish I could have found a clip on it. Um, so that was a recent arrest when they were, they were, uh, oh, arrested for making terrorist plots. And I, I, I don't remember all the charges, but it was interesting. Okay. Let's go to the next clip. Federal agents sent to restore order in Portland have poured petrol on disorder. What was a largely peaceful protest has escalated into violence. The main battle line is here, outside the federal courthouse. Protesters unable to pull down the new fence 
throw fireworks over. Tear gas is fired back. Many here are prepared for this. But as federal agents emerge in their dozens, those in gas masks run too. Rubber bullets fired into the darkness. It's quite frightening. Protests have been a nightly ritual since the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis over eight weeks ago. But crowds have only grown since federal troops arrived here, now protesting their very presence in this city. Do you think this violence is undermining your cause? You know what? I don't, I don't believe in violence at all, but unfortunately, you know, we gotta make noise. I haven't seen anyone get hurt or killed here, right? I see some fireworks. I see some people making a lot of, like, rackets. It's not just residents who want them gone. The city's mayor, caught in the tear gas on Wednesday, has called them an occupying force. And Homeland Security increasingly resembles a military presence. What's your name? What's Tell us your name. A video shared last week by one of Oregon's senators shows a protester being taken by camouflaged troops in an unmarked vehicle. This week, Donald Trump pledged to send in federal troops to more Democrat-run cities. Today, I'm announcing a surge of federal law enforcement into American communities plagued by violent crime. The election fast approaching. Some say this is about winning votes. Meanwhile, protesters here prepare for another night of battle. What's brought you out? Um, serving and protecting since, you know. Protecting what? My community here. From what? <laughs> Federal troops are far from fulfilling the president's pledge to restore order. Yeah, so basically, they th- that was the BBC. Well, not that was the BBC. I'm sorry, that was Sky News. Sky News uh, from the UK, obviously. Um, so yeah, so so they they attacked the federal building, and the and the people, the the federal officers are being demonized for defending the federal building. What are they supposed to do? Let the let the Antifa um, burn the damn building down? Uh, let Antifa break in and attack the the federal agents inside the building? And they did this night after night after night after night after night. Endless. Right. And yeah. the only reason why they didn't breach the White House is because because of the White House uh, security stopped them when they were trying to go through, you know, from the park into the White House to, to attack Donald Trump. And uh, they actually burned down a historical church right across the street from the park. Right. And then people are completely... And then people complained about Donald Trump that uh, the biggest problem was Donald Trump there because he did a walk to there and they thought they were mad with the way he dispersed people. <laughs> like, oh, that's what you're mad about. <laughs> what's the other option? The other I option like, is let them let them murder the president. I mean, what, what's what's the other option? Please. I, I'd like love the, for somebody to tell me. I like when they found a woman who worked at that church. I think it was an Episcopal church, if I remember correctly. But she was basically saying that, uh, yeah, she she she's totally on board with the Black Lives Matter and she doesn't believe it. And I'm like. 
who do you think burned down your church? You're probably the guy who walked there trying to basically use that as like a, a symbol for, I guess, a, how a, I don't know, the degradation that we're seeing from Black Lives Matters and then or Black Lives Matter protests. And then it's the case that everyone in the media <laughs> was saying that, no, the problem here is that Donald Trump went here, you know, like right. he was trying to he was trying to underscore how and just how insane this is. But uh, I, mean, my, I think my I think my my favorite anecdote of this is that uh, I think it was a net. I think it was a. I think it was a Nat Geo building in New York, New York, or maybe it had a Nat Geo like, a, or some, it had, it had something like Nat Geo on top of it that said Black Lives Matter on it. And then if you looked aside the building, it literally had like wooden panels over the doors because people kept breaking into it, you know? Right. <laughs> Which, I mean, th- these people are violent scumbags and they don't make any built bones about it. The people that defend these people and pretend like that they're the ones that are the victims are the, are the, uh, are the left-wing media. And the left-wing politicians, it's it's not the people themselves. The the violent protesters are just saying, "Hey, I, I'm 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 a violent thug and I'm a scumbag and and that's it." Yeah, which I, I guess the one thing I was I haven't I hadn't thought about this in a while, but the one thing that really mystified me about this is that uh, we did see literal federal buildings and I guess judge. I mean, you can remember just literal federal buildings and uh, um, courthouses being attacked, and I mean, presumably they were trying to get into there. And this was getting the media attention on this was very scant, you know, yeah. it, it really did. I mean, to me, that's just fucking crazy. And I mean, if you want to say something like uh, as far as if I mean, obviously, I think the charge of political terrorism could be a bit loaded. But if you want to try to make that to charge, it seems like that's probably going to be the best argument. And people were by and large, indi- or much of our mainstream media was by and large indifferent to that. Well, we're not we're not even talking about places like where they was it, they took over parts of cities and called it Chaz. And it was the the main leader of Chaz was a was some drug dealer, some convicted drug dealer with a, a list of violent crimes on his record. And, yeah, uh, I think that was just like a stupid, I don't know, stupid Black Lives Matter. I think that, I forget what the I think that was in Seattle where it was basically just a bunch of white people that did that. And then the the I think I think it ran for like three or four days, and they said, "Oh no, no police can come in here." And eventually, I think I think someone was literally a black guy was murdered in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That a little encampment, if you will, which yeah, because it was a battle amongst the criminals. It was a battle between drug drug gangs inside the inside their little area. I'm not okay, and I didn't know that was the reason why. But I remember somebody was pointing out that uh, well, if you actually look at the per capita rate, it has the highest per capita rate of any city by far. <laughs> and they did that within three or four days, right? Yeah, it's a yeah, it's both okay. Okay, so let's move. Let's move to, um, let's move away from Antifa for a minute, and let's talk about. Well, not completely away from Antifa, but let's let's talk about uh, violence on college campuses to silence people that they disagree with. And let's start out with this first clip. You see Berkeley, the target, a conservative student. Tonight, college Republicans are calling it an attack on free speech. KPX 5's Andrea Barba live on the Cal campus. She just spoke with a couple of witnesses. What do they say, Andrea? Well, Veronica, here at Sproul Plaza has always been the heart of student activism at UC Berkeley. Just a few seconds ago, we heard some drumming stuff here. Always a very active and lively place. Well, a few days ago, one activist found himself on the receiving end of some violence. This was the scene on Upper Sproul Plaza, a shoving match. 
and then a sucker punch. The man in black is the suspect UC Berkeley officers are looking for tonight. The man in the white cap on the receiving end of that punch is Hayden Williams, a volunteer from conservative group Turning Points USA. On his table was a sign that allegedly read, Beware of Fake Hate Crimes on it, a reference to the Jesse Smollett case. Arda Herbal and friend Alexander Sarka were leaving class when they saw the commotion. Start off as I leave verbal, and it kind of got heightened up where he was breaking down like posters and kicking down a table. I was like, oh, this is going to get intense, uh, and that's why I got out my phone and uh, wanted to film it. Uh, and it was, it was just... Um, uh, I didn't think it was going to escalate to the extent that it did. That's when the pair pulled out their cell phones and began recording. This is something I've never really seen in Sproul. Uh, I know, you know, there's a lot of political tension going on, but I've never really been a parent for those events. Tables promoting different clubs on campus are a daily occurrence at Sproul Plaza. Political combat, however, hasn't been seen at the plaza since the Milo Yiannopoulos protests. The university condemns in the strongest possible terms violence and harassment of any sort, no matter who the perpetrators are no matter who the targets are. The Berkeley College Republicans tweeted out the video this morning, calling it a, quote, leftist attack. One of the few things that holds America together is this idea that we can debate our differences and still remain one country. We're committed to some ideals of free expression and, and open debate. And when we see, like, incidences like this, uh, that ideal is undermined. Now, a representative from the university told KPIX5 that they do not believe the student, the person involved, the suspect in this case, is a student at the university. They say some 60,000 other people make their way through the campus every single day. Live at Cal, Andrea Borba, KPIX5. Okay, that was CBS. That was, that was brought to you by CBS. Uh, the guy was obviously a, a student. He was dressed like a student. He had a backpack on him. Um, and he was obviously heading to some class, so that's that's total bullshit. That's complete and utter bullshit. If it was if it wasn't if it wasn't a college age age guy, and if he wasn't dressed like a student and didn't have a backpack that probably held a bunch of books, then maybe. But this guy was obviously a student. They're just not going to hunt him down. They're not going to prosecute him. But there was no shoving match. The guy the guy was attacking the the uh, the the, the uh, display setup that the the other guy had. And uh, when the other guy was in the, and then started attacking the other guy. So it, when, when one guy grabs another guy and starts yanking him around, if you want to call that a shoving match, I mean, <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think that qualifies. Yeah. I would agree. And then when it was all over with, the guy was looking, looking away as he turned back around, the guy punched him right in the face, just as he turned around. Right. So, yeah, not not a shoving match. So apparently, if you're if you don't have the right political ideology, you're gonna get attacked. Now, if this was a conservative attacking some liberal liberal cause, it would have been all over the goddamn news. You you wouldn't you, you would have heard nothing but about this. It would be it would be it would have been national if or if not international news. You know, violent conservatives attacking peaceful liberals, just promoting their ideals. But yeah. With this, the only way you hear about it is 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 by YouTube, and eventually the mainstream media has to do some sort of story on it. Yeah, it, that kind of makes me think. Which, I, as far as kind of a, I guess a really kind of toxic left wing activism, 
it seems that uh, universities could be kind of a ground ground zero for this. And uh, obviously, the case that always sticks out in my mind is Charles Murray at Middlebury. But uh, I'm not quite sure where this emanates from, because it almost seems like a lot of this isn't quite as much ideological. It's almost like a it, it really just seems to be that uh, the bare bones of it seems to be that these people are particularly emotional. They see the world as basically just good and evil, and they look at a lot of conservative stuff as evil. So when they see a lot of these people, they'll just become absolutely irate. And they, I, I don't know, it's just almost like this weird coddled mindset where if you look at these people, when they get, they become so irate and so emotional that really anything can go awry. Or yeah, anything can happen. They, they, yeah they, they have no control over their feelings. Yeah, which that seems to be the impetus for a lot of this stuff. And I guess from what I've seen directly, it, it's I'm not that surprised by what's happened in a lot of these cases, particularly like a Middlebury with Charles Murray, where he literally gave a speech and they're like, oh, well, this guy is coming to our campus and he wrote a book that it was all about black people being stupid or something. And that's what they thought in their minds. And they just fucking I mean, they could not have been more unruly. They kept shoving. They just it was just all violence. And I think he got out unscathed, fortunately. But it's like, I think one of the professors ended up getting a concussion or something. And obviously- yeah, yeah, the female professor, she got a concussion. She was attacked, too. And uh, if, if any of these morons had read his book, The Bell Curve, um, The Bell Curve, there's only one part of one chapter in the entire book that discusses um, race and IQ. That's it. Right. Yeah. Which, uh- so it's, it's not like it's the entire book. It's, it's one part of one chapter. Yeah, it's just crazy when you see a lot of this stuff that to, I think a lot of the universities, they're kind of okay at this. And this is something I've seen where it seems to be a lot of these events where people just start screaming shit and get very emotional. You probably don't want to be there, which right. it seems to be that the cops, I, I don't know about all universities, but to, it seems to be that their protocol is every time they have one of these, that a bunch of cops will show up just because so many fucking people get so emotional, you know, right. that anything can really go awry and they might have to break up something, which... Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen it to the kind of the only right wing equivalent. I've, obviously, the left wing is them doing shit like that, but to, or I think they'll, it's like always like a democratic socialist club or something. It tends not to be as much a, kind of the more normal Democrats, but to, maybe maybe it is in some of these instances, or at least that's been my experience. But to, I the only the only equivalent I've seen of that to where it'll get particularly emotional is like uh, it's always been in my experience. It's been them, and it's also been these kind of pro lifers where they'll just start screaming shit at people which that's typically both of those cases they're they're the emotions are 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 typically too much yeah but the the pro-lifers don't turn violent sometimes they get violence perpetrated against them in fact more you know more times you know that happens more often than, than most people realize but they don't become they don't become violent um i guess not but i've seen the the way these people act and the left-wingers and a lot of the pro-lifers, they're not that far apart from what I've seen, at least from their emotions, just screaming at people and doing all sorts of crazy shit. Yeah, but I don't, I don't care about people's emotions as long as they don't become violent. Yeah, Violence guess, is where the line has to be drawn. I guess I'm saying here that uh, it seems that that's what's spurring a lot of this, and I think anytime you see something that's particularly emotional, it's probably not, a, it's probably not productive, and you probably shouldn't be there, and I guess at the very least, people should keep a very alive. <laughs> A lot, any any sort of cops or what have you should keep a very kind of like watchful eye on a lot of this stuff okay well let's let's jump to the next clip we're going to go way back to when bill o, before bill o'reilly was caught trying to get some nucky for his uh you know from his co-workers so let's go back to old bill and, and see what he has to say about some particular situations <laughs> Take 
tonight, there is bad feeling across the USA as some Americans simply will not accept the fact that Donald Trump is president. In Berkeley, California, ground zero for radical violence. There was a clash Saturday night between pro and anti-Trump people. Seven injuries, ten arrests. But we expect that from Berkeley. Even more troubling is Middlebury College in Vermont. Students and activists there shouted down a man named Charles Murray who was invited to speak at the school. And of course, at that demonstration, one professor was actually hurt and had to go to the hospital. Joining us on Boston, Marianne Marsh from Washington, Katie Pavlich. I expect this to get worse as violence, Katie, do you? Of course I expect it to get worse because there haven't been a lot of consequences for the actions of the, quote, protesters when we're really they're violent rioters. What we saw with Mr. Murray is completely unacceptable. Not only did they shout him down at his speech, but they pulled the hair of one of the professors who dared to show up with him on stage, severely injuring her neck. And if you read his account of this, which you can find at AEI.org, you'll find that it was a terrifying experience of getting pushed through a mob. They were trying to leave campus and the mob was surrounding their vehicle, knocking on the windows. And we have a choice here. The administration here has a choice. They can either punish the hundreds of students who engaged well, in this bad are. behavior or they can let it keep going on. And All the right. professors who, who also encourage the students should be in trouble, too. Absolutely. Now, here, Marianne, is a statement that I got from uh, Lori Patton, the president of Middlebury. It says, because of the complexity of events and actions that took place, we have initiated an independent investigation to establish a baseline of information. Once our work is completed, the college will follow a process of determining a course of action for each individual understood to be involved in some way. That will take some time. Is that good enough? Well, I think that's the right steps. I mean, when you look at everything Middlebury did to prepare for this appearance, they did all the right things. They prepared the students. They reminded them of the rules. They showed their IDs. They participated at a high level, including the president, at this. And now they're having an investigation. They have an honor code. When you Would read you it, it's clear Would you expel them if you were uh, Ms. Patton, if, if found to be these, these uh, students threatened the speaker and somebody hurt the uh, professor? Would you expel them? There's a range on the honor code. If you inhibit communication or people's ability to move freely, there's a range of punishments from fines to expulsion. I think it depends on what each individual right, well, did, but clearly they're going to be punished. Would you expel the worst offenders, Katie? Absolutely. I would also ask the police to press criminal charges for allegedly assaulting uh, the professor and uh, Charles Murray. I mean, if you look at the details of this, this, isn't just about free speech and shouting down a professor. This is about getting violent and making sure that he couldn't speak. And these students across the country have to understand that your First Amendment rights don't trump someone else's. And so in order to uh, allow speakers to come in with different points of view, which, by the way, this doesn't happen to liberal speakers. It only happens to conservatives speakers, you have an obligation to respect their First Amendment rights, right. allow them to speak, and if you want to have a back and forth right. to a Q&A, fine, but the shouting down violent behavior is unacceptable. Middlebury Police Department, small department, I think maybe the Vermont State Police should get involved as well. They say they're going to investigate as well, could be criminal charges, obviously they should check it to anybody who hurt her, uh, but we'll follow the story. Ladies, thanks as always. Okay, so that was Bill O'Reilly on Fox News back when Bill O'Reilly was um, on Fox News. Um, and so that was just what you were talking about a moment ago. Um, Charles Murray went on. He, he was invited on campus. He went up and made his speech, or he was trying to make his speech. 
um, protests, loud protests ensued. Then it, the, these protests become violent and riots, and uh, they actually end. They, they, you know, they assaulted Charles Murray. I, I don't think he got hurt that bad, but uh, the the woman had a concussion and and had some neck injuries. And and the, the the ironic part is is that she's a liberal professor. She was just simply doing her job. Yeah, it just seems like a, I guess from a, a Charles Murray's uh, uh, account of it, it was almost like this weird convergence where I guess they kept shouting him down while he was speaking, and then while he was trying to leave the building, they just kept converging on him and just shoved. yeah, they, they they wouldn't even let him leave. They that, that was the, the, the most of the violence happened as he was trying to leave. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, obviously, when you see shit like that, the problem is that uh, that's going to be that's very much going to be conducive to seeing a rioting atmosphere. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, I'm not quite sure even how you taper that down. I remember uh, uh, Fukuyama was was referencing the Charles Murray incident, and I guess he debated him on something at Stanford and he's part of uh, Hoover. But uh, he was saying that uh, when when he debated St- when he debated Charles Murray, they were obviously protesters, but uh they were able to really kind of uh, defang what they could actually do. And it wasn't, right. it wasn't nearly as malicious. It, or, there wasn't even a chance of it becoming malicious, which I think there's a question of how it becomes stuff like that. And well, when, I, you, when you become violent, when you become violent because you can't tolerate hearing somebody else's opinion, it shows that you're not confident. You're not intelligent enough. You're not mature enough. You're not sophisticated enough. Um, and you're not civilized enough. To, to, to express your opinions and hear other people's opinions, uh, you can only hear your own. Yeah, and obviously, as we've been saying, that's what happens when you're an incredibly emotional person. Yeah. Which I was thinking about this because I think the best evidence, the best evidence, I think, for political, I guess, kind of violence or really becoming a problem is likely what we're seeing on college campuses where there's really no ambiguity what's happening. A lot of the times they're just shutting down conservative speakers and often in kind of violent ways, but the one thing I, I'm wondering about this is it seems like there there could be a way that you could actually really tame these things from happening. And it seems like there there's a way that uh, cops could actually get or or a protocol that cops could have. And I imagine maybe some of these places get better at it. But I, I guess there's also a question if what happens if it reaches a point where cops get particularly good at kind of taming these kind of left wing protests where it's obviously just shutting down a conservative speaker who's trying to speak, thus just shows every kind of sees all the pitfalls of, I guess, kind of uh, moronic kind of left-wing activism. And yeah, like, it, yeah, it's, it's emotions, it's moronic, it's unsophisticated. Um, it's people that live in a bubble that, have, you know, they, they talk about privilege. Most of these, most of these jackasses have been, you know, raised in, in privileged, well-off homes. And, uh, you know, they have all these ideals and uh, they, they hate the country and the culture they, they grew up in. And yet they're going to stay here and they're going to try to try to destroy it instead of instead of going somewhere else. They might be happier. So let's let's play the next clip. The next clip involves Milo Yiannopoulos. Now, Milo, Milo Yiannopoulos, I, you know, he's a controversial character. I don't agree with everything he says. I, I don't I don't uh, I don't trust the guy. I think he's a shifty character. I think he's a you know, he's a he's a troll. He can't be trusted, obviously. Um, but I still think he has the right to speak. And uh, here's what happens. Here's the, here's the violent riots uh, to, to try to prevent him from speaking at a, an event on college camp on a, on a college campus that he was invited to. Okay, let's play this. And that the police have now said, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that they, in a matter of minutes, 
uh, or in short order plan to clear the area. And there you see now somebody lighting that. Oh, back up. Okay. Did you hear from the police that they plan to clear this square now? Uh, there was a warning from the police, a verbal warning saying to get out of this square. Um, and as we're backing up here, um, this is something clearly that they, they've got to get a handle on. What is um, that actually burning? I mean, is that a, there, it looks like something with a door on it. Is it a... It's a light. It's a street light. Uh, the, the kind of lights you see uh, when there's a, a major event that the city pulls out. So it's a large light that was tipped over and now has been set on fire. Um, UC Berkeley police now have announced no over Twitter response. that the speaker... Officers. King, uh, UC Berkeley police have announced over Twitter that the speaker uh, who was scheduled to speak tonight on campus has left the campus and is no longer there. Um, clearly they are hoping to try to defuse this as much as possible and get people to kind of move on does not look i mean Kyung, correct me if i'm wrong does it look to you as if people are clearing out in response to the police oh no i'm i mean I, just as i look at the arc of the crowd here there are i i, I mean yeah no one's moving uh, you know there's a large crowd here they're just watching this uh light burn and there is a very scary energy happening here um People are waving flags. A lot of people look very delighted that this is happening. And as I'm sure people are on Twitter looking at this, what they really wanted was exactly what you just said, Anderson. They wanted to shut this down. And so, uh, you know, it, I'm, no one's moving. At some point, the, those are... Sounds like firecrackers. That's fireworks. Um, yeah. Yeah, those are not shots. Those are fireworks. It looks like was some sort of an accelerant used. Uh, I mean, this may be a dumb question, but was was an accelerant used on that fire? Because uh, I mean, that metal object that's burning—is it gasoline that's burning? I, I don't know. That's what's a little alarming. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Have seen uh, are some of the protesters throwing? Yeah, you know, some I'm, I'm being told. Device. Yeah, I'm holding it. I'm a generator is a freestanding light that has its own generator, which likely has gasoline inside it. Uh, so that's probably what uh, what, ha what has ignited. So uh, you're wise, obviously, to try to keep your distance from that. I'm not clear how much gasoline is inside uh, inside that generator. It, we're looking, Kyung, just so our, you know what our hand side of our screen, we're probably watching what is from your camera, which is a tight shot of uh, the flames on that light and that generator on the left-hand side of our screen. We're looking at uh, from our affiliate Kron, uh, which has a slightly different vantage point, uh, a little bit of a wider shot where you see some some more people kind of who are standing around. Um, but it looks like young that the, the protesters now are you in an area kind of where the media is and the protesters are uh, are farther pushed back or can you kind of explain the, the layout? The, where I'm standing is, if you have an aerial vantage point of where we are, it looks like there's a ring around this building. I'm standing uh, pretty close to this light that's burning. Um, so I can see the entire arc of this crowd. And as this fire gets bigger and bigger, there are cheers from this crowd. Um, and people getting closer to try to take pictures, which is astonishing to me. Um, and the firecrackers are still going off. So... And, there we see there, another, and another there's another fire being set here. It looks like an American, 
that's an American flag that they have set on fire. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're, they're, I can't tell from where I'm at because I'm standing toward the front close to the fire. I can't tell how far back this crowd goes. Um, but from where I am, there's a ring of protesters surrounding this building, and there are dozens and dozens and dozens of protesters standing around just watching all of this happen. Yeah. Um, so fire? we did hear from the police that they were going to try to clear this area. The fire is, uh, looks like it's spreading actually somewhat uh, on the ground. I assume that's the gasoline as it, as it uh, uh, That's the tree catching on fire. Let's back up. Let's back up, George. Okay, so that was Anderson Cooper, obviously, uh, CNN and a female reporter on the site. And uh, there were, you know, there was a huge, uh, you know, a flame, a huge inferno right in front of the building where they had set some sort of light on fire. Um, And they were throwing fireworks at the police and screaming and yelling. And and they were throwing American flags into into the fire. Yet the left claims they're not anti-American. But the fir- one of the first things that they like to do is burn American flags. They're not anti-American. They just want to burn American flags. And they want to attack the, the, the police. And they want to prevent people from having free speech. Yeah. The very symbol of the United States, the American flag, they want to burn it. Every single goddamn protest, this is what these leftist scumbags do. But they're not anti-American, right? No, they're very anti-American. The, le- the left is anti-American by nature. It just is. You don't you don't see when when right wing protesters, uh, if there is a protest, it's it doesn't it you know it's not a violent protest, and they don't burn the American flag. There's a difference in protesting because you want things to improve and pro, and and becoming violent and and destructive, and and burning the symbols of your country because you hate your country so bad. Yeah. So. Yeah, it seems as though, and people have written about this, that uh, for some reason the left has become very, very anti-patriotic, which is kind of an interesting, which is uh, an interesting phenomenon to say the least. Yeah, they, they hate the country. They absolutely hate the country. And I've even had leftists from the UK say, "Oh, I bet you're a patriot!" Ha 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 ha. And I said, "Yeah, of course I love my country. Don't you love the UK?" No. Wow. I mean, that's that's one hell of an admission. Okay, so I have a couple more clips to go, and we're going to go to, to a little bit more violence, at least a little bit more uh, attempted violence. Uh, I have two more clips to go, and I have to wrap this up by the end of the hour. So uh, we'll go to the first clip, and then we'll start that. We know right now the gunman has been identified as 66-year-old James Hodgkinson from Illinois. He was shot and killed by police. And authorities are now pouring over his social media accounts, which are filled with posts attacking President Trump and Republicans, including Congressman Steve Scalise. 
Scalise, a Republican from Louisiana, is one of six people injured in Wednesday's ambush. He remains in critical condition. And last night, as we told you, President Trump and the First Lady visited Scalise at the hospital. The president tweeted that Scalise is very tough, is in very tough shape, but he is a real fighter. Is that we have team coverage this morning? Amy on the scene in Alexandria, Virginia, with new details about those terrifying moments on the field. Good morning, Amy. George, good morning to you. You know, it was almost this exact time of day yesterday when, in a matter of moments, this field here behind me went from a group of congressmen who were gearing up, practicing for their big game tonight, to an unthinkable, horrifying scene. Shots ringing out on what was a quiet morning at the ball field. The team practicing early, at least 20 Republican congressmen preparing for their annual charity baseball game against the Democrats. I thought it was a construction site dropping a very large piece of metal. And then the next thing I heard was, run, he's got a gun. The lone gunman sending a bullet into the left hip of Louisiana congressman and Republican House Majority Whip Steve Scalise. The bullet crossing Scalise's pelvis, fracturing bones, injuring internal organs, and causing severe bleeding. The congressman undergoing surgery immediately. This morning, he is in critical condition and will need additional operations. Shots being fired, and there are people running, possibly victims involved. The gunman, 66-year-old James T. Hodgkinson, beginning his rampage behind a fence between home plate and the third base dugout. Scalise shot while playing second base, frightened team members taking cover in the first base dugout. I poked my head up at one point behind the fence, but he still had a line of fire into the dugout. You saw him right before he took that initial first shot. I imagine I saw him just before he shot Scalise, but I, I had turned by that point because I heard getting the dugout. Photographer Marty Lavore was there watching it all unfold. What was the point at which you realized someone is shooting at us? Well, I saw Scalise on the ground, but I heard it. A weapon that goes bing, 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 bing. Scalise's security detail quickly jumping in. Exchanging fire with the shooter. We got one in custody. We need medics. By 714, the gunman is dead. The scene scattered with abandoned equipment and left bullet-ridden, at least one shattering the window of this nearby YMCA. We were city ducks. I mean, we had no... We had nothing to fight back with the bats. The team's manager, Representative Joe Barton, was at practice with his two sons, including 10-year-old Jack. He had 25 dads. Everybody out there uh, was looking out for him. The gunman shooting four people, with two others hurt with secondary injuries, including the two Capitol Police officers, now hailed as heroes. Without them there, this would have been a massacre of major proportions of innocent men, women, and children at a park that is very peaceful at 6.30 in the morning when we go out there. Capitol Hill photographer Marty Lavore told us several times when we talked to him last night how grateful he was for those two very brave Capitol Hill police officers who were here on this field protecting the lives of all the men out here. But he stressed to us he isn't just grateful for what they did yesterday. He's grateful for what they do every single day, putting their lives on the line for others. Okay, that, that story was brought to you by ABC. That was an a, ABC clip. So, yeah, they're playing baseball. They have an annual uh, baseball game between the Republicans and the, and the Democrats. And this guy comes on targeting the Republicans. 
and trying to kill them while they're on the field. And d- damn near killing them. All because he didn't like like uh, their politics. So that they, you know, murder the, murder the politicians, but if you don't agree with their politics. So that kind of speaks for itself. I gotta, I have to, we have to run this long real quick. The last one I think is is just as bad, even though nobody was injured. This is the story about the the Supreme Court justice and the man who drove across country so that he could go to this man's home and kill the Supreme Court justice and murder his entire family. A California man is facing federal charges for the attempted murder of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. The suspect was arrested near Kavanaugh's home in Maryland. Scott McFarland is on Capitol Hill with more. The FBI says Nicholas Roski traveled across the country from California before appearing just after 1 a.m. outside the suburban D.C. home of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh with a backpack carrying a knife, a Glock, ammunition, pepper spray, and zip ties. According to an affidavit, the 26-year-old admitted he bought the gun with the intention of breaking into the justice's home and killing him. But local police tell CBS News Roski called 911 on himself. Court filings from prosecutors say Roski was upset about the leaking of that draft opinion indicating the court is poised to overturn abortion rights and was concerned Kavanaugh would rule to loosen gun laws. His arrest comes amid fears about the safety of the justices. There have been several recent peaceful protests outside the justices' homes. The attorney general just recently ordered beefed up protection at justices' homes. Threats of violence and actual violence against the justices, of course, strike at the heart of our democracy. And we will do everything we can to prevent them and to hold people who do them accountable. The FBI affidavit says Roski found Kavanaugh's address on the Internet. Judge Esther Salas, whose son was murdered two years ago at her home, is urging Congress to pass a bill to bolster security for judges and their families. To our members of Congress... This is a life or death decision that they have to make. And for them to act now in a bipartisan way to ensure that no other judicial officer ever loses his or her life. And Scott joins me now. Scott, the suspect had his first court appearance Wednesday. What more can you tell us? And do we know why he called 911 on himself? No, but that 911 phone call audio is expected to be released to CBS News tomorrow according to the local police here in suburban Washington, D.C. It was an initial appearance today for Nicholas Roscoe at the federal courthouse in Greenbelt, Maryland, which means we didn't hear much about the case beyond the court filings and the court documents. Both the police locally and the FBI in their court affidavit say it was Roski who called 911 on himself. The motives alleged in the charging documents and the court filings is that he was upset about the leak of that draft opinion and that he was also upset about the recent school shooting in Uvalde and specifically concerned that Justice Kavanaugh would be part of ruling to loosen gun laws. They purchased the pistol, Lana, with the intent of using it, first on Justice Kavanaugh and then against himself. Scott, you mentioned additional security measures are being put in place to keep the Supreme Court justices safe. What more can you tell us about that? Yeah, extra security. First of all, at the courthouse, if you walk outside the Supreme Court right now, you'll see an eight-foot black metal fence surrounding the entire complex. From the outside, it has the look of a bit of an encampment. 
There's also police presence and a public street outside the Supreme Court that is now blocked to traffic, closed. So the perimeter looks very similar to the perimeter we saw here at the U.S. Capitol after January 6, 2021. But what members of Congress are considering is formal legislation to either expend more money or authorize more security for the judges, the federal judges, at their homes to protect the judges, protect their families, and there's even consideration of finding some way to require or authorize the removal of home addresses of federal judges online. Not clear how that would work, but there's an interest in that, both from members of Congress and that federal judge from whom we just heard. Right. The judge whose son was murdered and husband attacked two years ago. That's such a tragic story. Uh, Scott, uh, as we've been discussing, last month the Senate passed a bill that would allow Supreme Court police to provide extra security for justices and their families to that point. Tell us, what's the status of that legislation in the House? So the technicality is that Congress has to authorize and legislate to give federal police forces more capability, at least in some cases. So there's a formal piece of legislation to do just that, to give the Supreme Court police and other federal law enforcement the capacity to do more and expand further their protection of the judges and their families. It has bipartisan support, which puts it in a unique place in this Congress. Um, how fast will it be moved on after today? It could be on a faster track. Look for it maybe in the coming weeks, if not days. You know, Scott, this planned attack against Justice Kavanaugh comes just a day after the Department of Homeland Security issued a bulletin warning of violence ahead of a Supreme Court decision on abortion. Where else are we seeing these threats of political violence? By orders of magnitude, Lana, there have been more threat investigations against Congress Go back five to ten years, there were far fewer threat investigations than there were in the past 12 months when those investigations were measured in the thousands. The Capitol Police here at the Capitol Complex had a larger budget because of it, more than a half billion dollars a year in funding for the U.S. Capitol Police. And now they're going farther and wider to protect members of Congress in their hometowns, on airplanes, and as they move outside the protective shield of the U.S. Capitol. All right, Scott, thank you. Okay, that last clip was brought to you by CBS News. And uh, it's about the man who came, tra traveled across country so he could try to assassinate uh, Supreme Court Justice uh, Brett Kavanaugh simply because he thought that Brett Kavanaugh might loosen the legislation on guns. Brett Kavanaugh is just one Supreme Court justice out of nine. And so killing him because he thought that he might change the law on something is absolutely goddamn batshit crazy. And I'm glad it didn't work out. That being said, I, do you have anything quick to say right later? Because i got to wrap this up. Nope, I think we got all of it. Okay, thank you for listening. This has been the Conservative Atheist uh, Podcast. Uh, I was joined by my co-host, Brighter Later. And we, are, we were talking about political violence. Now, today we talked about political violence uh, specifically coming from the left. And uh, we've, we've given just the tip of the iceberg on the political violence that's happened, but, you know, too many stories to cover. But we gave you, the, we gave you as much as, as we could fit into in, in uh, about an hour and a half. So I, I appreciate you listening. We drop a podcast Monday through Friday. In other words, Sunday morning, uh, I'm sorry, Sunday night going into Monday morning uh, after 12.01 a.m. Monday morning. Uh, Eastern Standard Time or New York City time. And the last one we drop goes from Thursday night into Friday morning after 12.01 a.m. 
uh, Friday morning, uh, Eastern Standard Time or New York City time. And these episodes last, these podcast episodes last anywhere from an hour to two hours to three hours, depending on the, to- the topic we're discussing and depending on who we're and we're interviewing. We interview, a, we've interviewed a bunch of people. We interview, we've interviewed the extremely world famous, and we've interviewed people that uh, that nobody knows who they are, and and everybody in between. We try to give you the best possible content from a from a conservative atheist perspective, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, we also have a uh, Patreon, and the if you want to support the Patreon, it's, it starts out at $5 tiers. Uh, the first t- tier is $5, basically pennies a day. You get all sorts of perks and merchandise, and it goes up from there. And you get to see live video, or not live video, but you get to see video podcasts with what we look like. And uh, it's a way to support the, 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 the podcast and, and the work we're doing with this. Uh, if not, you know, at least to subscribe and listen to our podcast and, and spread the word if you enjoy our content. And I hope you do. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. One last thing before I let you go. Tonight, when you're laying flat on your back, staring up at the ceiling in the dark, drifting off into sleep, I want you to repeat this mantra over and over and over again. Conservative atheist is always right. 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 And in the morning when you wake up, you'll feel like a refreshed, renewed person. The sun will shine brighter. The air will feel crisper. The flowers will smell sweeter. And the birds will sing your name. And all will be right with the world. And if not, maybe you're some left-wing piece of shit that thinks violence is the way to promote your agenda. And you need to listen to more conservative atheist podcasts so I can set your dumb ass straight. All right, you knuckleheads, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time.